Okay, so uh, this is our third retreat talk now. Um, so what have we been looking at so far? Um, been talking about the new evangelization, the priest you need to become to serve the new evangelization. Spoke yesterday about hope, about the priest as a man of hope. That hope is one of the things our society doesn't have. Hope is one of the things we as Christians, you as future priests, have a distinctive angle on. It's your gift to give to them. Today, I want to speak about the priest as a man of faith. Right, so faith, hope, charity. Um, today, looking at faith. Tomorrow, we'll look at love. The greatest of these is love. So the priest is a man of love, um, which is the fruit of the others. But today, faith. So you can't have hope that I talked about yesterday unless you have faith. So there would have been a logical way of doing faith first. But um, because I want that image of faith, uh, hope to be kind of our driving vision of what's different for us to offer, uh, I wanted to start with that. But we need actually faith to be the foundation. Um, so initially, what does a priest of faith look like? Well, I'm going to speak a little bit more at length, trying to describe that in a bit. But just first, a priest of faith just reminds you that God exists. A priest of faith just walks in the room and he radiates this sense that God is real. We need priests like that. Okay, so why is faith relevant? And maybe this is almost too obvious, um, but you know, society has forgotten God, either forgotten him in terms of busyness or materialism, that there's just too much to do, um, that for lots of people and lots of our parishioners even, God's just, even if they think he's real, he isn't number one on their priority list. That, you know, their son's football game, well, that's number one on the priority list. Or the need to get to Walmart on Sunday, that's number one on the priority list. On all kinds of levels, our society's just kind of lost sight of God. Even in the church, we can lose sight of God. That amidst all our activism and activity, we can fail to put God number one. That our parish social events or our parish fundraising or our parish justice and peace campaigns, there are all kinds of things where God's kind of lost focus. He isn't number one. And even as priests, we can lose sight of him. That we can be so caught up in our concerns about the parish safe environment policies or the parish building projects or or the people that aren't coming we can lose sight of his promises that we can root ourselves in our own busyness in our own activism rather than having our sight on him what he said what he's promised 
So in all kinds of things, we can lose sight of God. The world outside can lose sight of him. In many ways already has lost sight of him. Even we in the church can lose sight of him. And yet the church that has lost sight of God isn't the church anymore. It's somehow become something else, something less. So, it's pretty obvious that we're talking about the need for new evangelization, that there's a need for faith, uh, that faith is pretty obviously relevant. Don't know if I need to be articulating this to first and second theologians, but what is faith? Um, just to remind ourselves, um, so quoting the Catechism, it's a personal adherence of man to God, a free assent to the whole truth that God has revealed. In the Thomistic de definition, it's the, the assent of the intellect to what God has said to accept what he said, to trust what he said, to embrace what he said, what God has revealed. So the Catechism's definition, St. Thomas's definition, is kind of presuming a relationship, an awareness that involves more precisely than the submission of the intellect to what he said. With that, therefore, faith has a content that he has spoken. He said something specific. Um, ultimately, the word he has spoken is his son. And I'll come on to the content of faith as a later thing, but that's not really going to be my primary focus. My primary focus is, in a sense, that whole habitual disposition, faith as a theological virtue, the man, the priest who has that just habitual faith in God, what's he like? How is that what the world needs? What the world needs to know, what the world needs to have a sense of as the priest walks in the room is that God is real, God is spoken, God is promised and he can be trusted. Okay, what does the priest of faith look like? So I asked this question yesterday about what does the priest of hope look like? What does he kind of radiate? The priest of faith, what does he look like? What does he radiate? To repeat the scenario I used yesterday, your home parish gets a new pastor. The pastor arrives and he is a priest of faith. What is he radiating to his people? What do his people sense from him? Well, first, a priest of faith, he thinks and speaks of God in all things. That when they, his people see this priest, they just remember, yeah, God is real. God exists. He's, he's right here. They remember that what life is about, that it's about him. So, you know, we need priests who tell funny jokes 
We need priests who look impressive and are educated and articulate. But more than anything, we need priests who just give us this sense that God is real. That's what a priest is as a priest, yeah? Um, so, that's the first thing he's radiating, this sense he speaks, he thinks of God. Second, a priest has, a priest of faith has, to use a phrase of St. Maria again, supernatural vision. He looks at things as God looks at them. He sees things and he thinks of them as God sees, thinks of them. Okay, a couple examples. What does that mean? Um, well, if you ever talk to Josephine in seminary, and he'll tell you Father James speaks about donuts. Um, what do I think, if I'm thinking of a donut, a Krispy Kreme donut, a Boston cream, I'm imagining, I'm thinking of its beautiful, fluffy texture, the lovely light pastry, the, the coating of the sugar on the outside, how inside it's got that beautiful, smooth custard, that vanilla custard. And then on top, that glazing of, of soft chocolate icing. Yeah. Now, how's God coming into that? Well, it's come from God. It's part of God's beautiful creation. Something that's delicate and elaborate in its construction is only possible from a rational being. Again, we can only therefore, you know, God's got to be in there. When I see the donut, I'm thinking here is a good thing from God. Here is a good thing that could only be made by a rational being made in the image and likeness of the rational being. To pleasure and the pleasure of the donut, there's a way of relating to pleasure in just that grubbing way that a, a pig just gets pleasure. But there's another way of seeing the pleasures, the good things of this world as God sees them, which is seeing them at a whole nother level, a whole nother level of beauty and sophistication. So the priest of faith even as he, with his parishioners, is enjoying that donut, he's somehow God's part of that picture. That the donut isn't an escape from God. I'm going to stuff my face now uh, and not think about him. No, I'm enjoying the donut with God as coming from him. One example of all kinds of pleasures in life that aren't an escape from God, but I appreciate in the light of God, with supernatural vision, seeing it as God sees it. Work, similarly, how do I work with supernatural vision? Well, some task I'm doing, a talk I'm giving, a sermon I'm giving, a paper you're writing, how does God see that thing? Well, again, it's part of his creation. God wants this work done well. He wants his creation brought to fulfillment, to perfection, to flourishing. 
meaning every single thing I'm doing, I'm doing not just to get it off my checklist, I'm doing it well, doing it for Him as part of His world, seeing it with supernatural vision. Doing it well on a natural level, yeah, but then offering it to Him. Different example, the cross, my cross, your cross. The priest of faith, the priest with supernatural vision, sees the suffering that comes to him in life with faith, with supernatural vision. He sees it somehow as from the hand of God. Somehow this cross that has come to me today, this is part of the path that has been given to me to get me to heaven. I see it as God sees it. Somehow even suffering in his permissive will and his providential plan, this has been given to me to get me to heaven, to get me closer to him. So all kinds of things, the priest with supernatural vision sees them as God sees them. The pleasures, the work, the cross, all kinds of things. I see them with supernatural vision. The priest with supernatural vision, this is part of what he is just kind of radiating and how he's looking at everything, part of his gift to his parishioners, enabling them, dare we say by osmosis, to similarly be thinking of things with supernatural vision. Third, what does a priest of faith look like? Well, is it too obvious to say he's a man of prayer? And he looks like a man of prayer. That his parishioners don't need to ask, does he pray? No, they somehow, they, they know he prays. They see him praying in front of the tabernacle. They see him praying before mass. They see him praying during mass, dare we say. And sadly, that's not something we can say of all priests. We need to be able to say that of you as priests. You need to be a priest of prayer and your people to see that. Fourth point, what does he look like? Well, kind of the flip side of the supernatural vision is that he's not someone who's always focused on earthly problems. That yes, if he's a pastor, he's going to be talking about the drains that have to be fixed. He's going to be talking about parking lot issues and the new carpet that's got to be ordered for the rectory front room. But as he mentions these things, it's obvious these aren't what he's about. He does these things, but these aren't, he doesn't live focused on earthly problems. And fifth, my last kind of description of the, what a priest of faith looks like, is that he has a calm certainty. That when we're rooted in ourselves and our own power, then everything's unstable because I always kind of let myself down and my powers are always limited. But when I'm rooted in him, 
there's just a calm certainty. I'm not overly dependent on my outcomes coming about my way. I've left it in his hands. There's a calm certainty about him. That the priest of faith, he trusts in God, trusts in his promises, trusts in what he said, trusts that God's outcome is going to be better than what I thought myself. And so there's just a visible sense of calmness, of detachment, of certainty. Not certainty in me, in myself, but certainty in him. So I was going to sum all that up, what the priest of faith looks like. He looks like a man in a relationship with God. He looks like a man for whom God is his thing. It's pretty obvious, you know, thinking in the context of the new evangelization, a priest walking in and radiating that sense is just, even before he's doing anything else, giving a message, giving a signal, giving a sign. Okay, how to build faith. So, I need faith within me, it's relevant, it's part of what our world needs. Describe kind of what a priest of faith looks like. Well, how do I build that within me? Well, some things we can say positively we need to do. Some things negatively we need to avoid. So prayer, spiritual reading, meditation. So just unpacking those a bit more slowly. So faith is a relationship um, that I am assenting to him, assenting to what he's said. And I can't be in a relationship unless I'm spending time with him, prayer, knowing him, spiritual reading, reflecting on what he said. So just thinking about prayer. So I've got to have time with him. That my prayer as a priest has to be my number one thing in the prioritizing of my day. Got to be regular. Got to be faithful. Got to be generous in my time. Generous in my effort. Um, that there's nothing in my day as a priest that defines me more than my prayer. Obviously, specifically the prayer of the Mass, but just generally prayer. If I'm not a man of prayer, I'm nothing. And sadly, you know, a lot of our parishioners don't understand this. The number of times I've been 
there in the pew trying to do my meditation um, and Betty comes and taps me on the shoulder and says, Father, while you're not doing anything, um, well, you know, actually, Betty, I was doing something. Um, I was talking to somebody, somebody more important than you. <laughs> um, you know, so a lot of our parishioners, they don't, they don't understand it, even with the best of kind of goodwill. Um, but for ourselves, we need to know prayer is me doing something. Prayer is me doing something important. And of all the things I'm going to be planning, prioritizing today, my prayer has to be number one, that without it, I'm nothing. Okay, spiritual reading. So what's going to remind me of God? What's going to teach me of God? Well, the world isn't going to teach me of God. Um, watching the Squid Game on Netflix isn't going to teach me about God. Um, I need to read. I need to read regularly. I need to read about him. So meditations on the Gospels. Um, meditations on what he's promised. So I can't trust him. I can't be in a continual relationship with him if I don't know what I'm trusting him about. So reflecting on his promises um, is essential to that. So when I'm reading the scriptures, you know, those phrases like, my grace is sufficient for thee, that all things work for the good of those who love the Lord, that God so loved the world, that I need to have these phrases from the scriptures that are just continually in my mind, and they're in my mind because I am reading them. So again, just like prayer has to be something I prioritize, spiritual reading um, has to be something likewise I am committed to, that every day that this is just a part of what I am, part of what I do. I think with that, therefore, you know, we need to um, plan what our spiritual reading is. Um, Got to be thinking, you know, well, where am I now in my relationship with the Lord? What do I need to be feeding back in to make sure I'm varying different styles of sources uh, to kind of keep my breadth of vision? Okay, so prayer, spiritual reading, meditation. So. I need to not just, in a sense, put things into my mind by reading, but to reflect on them, to, to, to meditate on them. To reflect on what he said, but also reflect on my life and my life in him, what he's doing. Um, so I want, that back to the donut, I won't see the donut as God sees it unless I'm reflecting unless I'm meditating, yeah? It's easy to see the donut as tasty, but to see the donut with the eyes of faith, that takes a disposition, a continual pattern of, of reflection, of meditation. To see the paper that you're writing 
as God sees it, only will happen if you are habitually reflecting, meditating. Um, so, you know, I presume it, Kenrick, just like the Dosphenum, you're taught different techniques of meditation, taught different techniques of mental prayer or contemplative prayer, you know, the different phrases in the tradition. Um, but we need to be, um, it's an effort to use different techniques. I often tell the guys at the Josephine, it's not enough to just veg out there with God, be there, ha, kind of staring at the tabernacle, empty-minded. Um, that it is an effort to pray, um, but that's part of whichever different techniques, whether it's Ignatian or Carmelite, or, um, to be processing the things he's done, the things he said. Um, okay, so some, those are just a few positive things, how to build faith. Negatively, um, fasting, mortification, and poverty. So when St. Thomas talks about the things that stop our, us having faith, the obstacles to faith, talks about those things that cloud the intellect, which is a beautifully simple visual image that there are things that just stop me seeing clearly. They cloud the intellect, things that therefore I need to be purified of. Um, so, unpacking these, starting with poverty. Poverty of spirit, detachment. You know, we live in a very materialistic culture. It's easy as priests to get caught up in that. So I don't have a wife, so I can get distracted by just filling that void with other things. Um, always having the latest iPhone. Um, always having the nice car that, well, I'm always in black, but I've got a nice buckle on um, and I've got nice cufflinks. And, um, so how do we avoid that? Um, well, with your spiritual director, um, you need to be, I think, regularly honest with your spiritual director discussing these things, um, talking with him about your purchases, um, obviously not every small thing, but so that you're kind of making yourself accountable that way with, with how you're living, how you're spending your money. Um, it's good if you've got a friend that you can kind of, as a priest friend, make yourself accountable in, in discussing those things with. Um, I'm sure you've had this you know, articulated to you in other contexts, but just a couple of the kind of standard criteria that are sometimes used to never get the best. So if there's something you're needing to buy, think of all the things you you'd choose, you know, the functions, the model, the this, the that, and always get the model just less that doesn't have all those things you want. Another criteria sometimes used is to 
whenever you're buying a luxury, to give an equal sum of money to the poor. Um, as another way of measuring, is this a suitable sum? Um, another way with that, therefore, of thinking of others as I'm spending money on myself. The Code of Canon Law says that a priest has to avoid all that smacks of worldliness. That the directory on the life and ministry of priests says that he needs a, a simple life. In all aspects, living quarters, means of transportation, presumably a car, but also not flying first class, vacations, the priest must eliminate any kind of affectation and luxury. His inheritance, the directory says, has to be the Lord. What do I live for? What is the inheritance I'm dependent on? It's the Lord as a priest. So the directory is taking that phrase from the Old Testament priesthood, but it has a very obvious spiritual application for us as priests of the new covenant too. And without wishing to be critical of my brother priests, you don't need to look far to see examples where this isn't really being lived out and integrated. Um, your generation of priests, if you're going to be that effective witness, you need to be raising the bar for, for how that's being lived out. Um, so have brothers that you seek to challenge you and challenge each other on those questions, but also, as I say, discuss those with your spiritual director. Fasting and mortification. So again, if my mind is filled with self-indulgence, whether it's possessions or whether it's food, my intellect's going to be clouded in its capacity to have faith. So I need to have habitual patterns of fasting, of, of mortification. So days that I just regularly fast. So in the tradition, Fridays and Wednesdays are there. Um, foods that I regularly or semi-regularly abstain from, or that I know if I'm having that food, I know this is a luxury for some, in some sense. Well, maybe it's a feast day. Fine, it's a feast day. Um, but I'm aware this is a luxury. This isn't every day, every opportunity. Costs that I regard as too expensive. Um, you know, it can be a scandalous sight to see a group of priests at a fancy restaurant. The gluttony isn't just about too much quantity, it's about too much cost. You know, St. Thomas gives five different ways we can be too gluttonous. We think about it being quantity, but it can also be too much cost. It can also be too much fussiness about good quality. So yeah, we should enjoy good quality and we should try and cook well, but there's a way of being overly focused on that. Um, a habit of fasting uh, helps purify us of that. So there's that ancient phrase, um, St. Alphonsus quotes, St. Bernard is saying this, I don't know if he was the first, but never leave the meal table unmortified. 
every meal to have some little thing that you've said no to yourself about. Maybe the size of one of the bits of the portions, whether you put salt or pepper, something about the meal, maybe the conversation, some bit of it, that I restrained myself from making myself look good with that witty comment, or some bit of the meal that is mortified. Never leave the meal table unmortified. Um, and I'd suggest it can be good to have a habit of varying our mortifications in that regard, that if you're always denying yourself salt, well, you reach a stage where you kind of don't notice that anymore, to kind of vary what your, your habit is, but to have a habit of, of regular self-denial, regular mortification, that I won't be a man of faith, I won't be a man whose mind is filled with the thoughts of God if I'm filled with the thoughts of my belly. Okay, so a final thought um, on faith and the content of faith with respect to certainty. So, said faith involves accepting, accepting what God has said, assenting to what he's revealed. Faith means that I know, I hold certain truths, but I hold them because he has said so. Not because, well, you know, I figured this out, or this makes sense to me. Now, that's not faith, that's just being a rational being. Faith is when I accept it, I hold it, because he has said so. And when you're educated, you know, by the time you finish seminary, you should be a very educated man. It's easy to hold things because you've thought them through. Faith holds them because God has said so. So Christ has manifested them. His church articulates them in what's called the rule of faith. And I accept them. And this is very countercultural. Yeah? In our society, our autonomous society, the individual, I think this because this is what I feel. Um, you'll often have a parishioner say, Well, but Father, I know you said that's what the church says, but what do you think? As if that's going to be different. Well, what do you think about women's ordination? Yeah, you told me what the church said, but what do you think? or contraception. Well, you said what the church says, but what do you think? Well, part of what my witnessing in faith is I'm articulating, showing, manifesting that this whole thing of faith is accepting something, not because I figured it out and I've understood every variable, but I accept it as coming from that source. That's what faith is. And, you know, we have human faith in all kinds of things. We trust people who have told us things. So I believe that Africa is real. I've never been there. I've never seen Africa. But I trust the people who tell me who say they've been there. Yeah, that's just how we come to know all kinds of things. 
Theological faith is that same dynamic raised up about the most important things. That this man, Jesus Christ, lived, behaved in a way that showed me he is not just a man, and that what he said, I have grounds to trust what he has said, to accept in faith what he has manifested and what his church articulates and hands on to me. And my habitual manner of accepting the truth in that regard is part of what I need to have, what you need to have as your gift to your parishioners, manifesting to them what faith is. Okay, in summary. So, the, the world, what does it need? Among the things it needs, it needs you to be a priest who is a man of faith. That when you're in the presence of a man of faith, you just instantly remember that God exists, that God is real. That you sense his supernatural vision. You sense the way that he is seeing all things in the light of God, seeing all things as God sees them. And to become such a man, you need positively prayer, spiritual reading, meditation, negatively poverty, detachment, mortification, self-denial, so that God, God is with us, not the world is with us. The world needs to know that God's real, and thus it needs you to be a priest who is a priest who is a man of faith.